0: Last week I started a series which I entitled The Redemption of Womankind. Um, And really, it's probably more than that. It's obviously to do with the redemption of mankind. But in particular, it has been a bit of a struggle where it comes to women in the church over the years and even in society. So last week I looked at Genesis and the original creation and how God had actually made man and woman and they were one flesh. They were both equally made in God's image. They were both equally given this this task by God to go out into the world and um, subdue it, to look after it, just as we today, as Christians, are all given this great commission to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. We came uh, and had a look at the verse in Genesis 3.16 about what was the result of what happened when Adam and Eve sinned. And this is one of the results... This is given to Eve. You will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. There's a breaking down of relationship, not just between mankind and God, but between woman and man as well. That is not how God created them together initially. But something came in through this fall, which we might just understand as selfishness, as a desire to be in charge, as a desire to be the number one in life, which comes across in so many different areas But that verse is so pivotal because one of the results was, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. This working together was destroyed and broken, and I believe that Jesus came in this world to reverse that and many other things. I also believe that culture had to be worked through. When Jesus came, that culture was wrong, and it was strong, and it was anti-women in so many ways, not just women, but but lots of different types of people. So last week we also looked at a verse in Galatians that says there's now no longer a a Jew or Gentile, slave or free, man or woman, but all are the same in Christ. Does that mean we're all exactly the same? Of course it doesn't. Does it mean we've all got the same strengths and talents and giftings? Of course it doesn't mean that. But I suggested that perhaps if we looked at each of those individually, it breaks down into a power structure, doesn't it? A master and a slave. Master's in control. Man and woman in the culture and the way of the fall, man was in control and had the power relationship. Jew and Gentile, it was something that they believed and they were, God's specially chosen people, but it put everyone else on the outside and so therefore... They were better than everyone else, that nation at the time. Also, when you look at that verse, one of the prayers that they used to pray in Israel at that time was the rabbis and the men would rise up in the morning and they'd say this prayer, I thank you, God, that I'm not a slave. I thank you, God, that I was not born a Gentile. I thank you, God, that I was not born a woman. Now, that's harsh, right? I feel that's harsh. And what I want to look at today is the culture around the time because as much as we'd like to think that we're not influenced by culture and our thoughts are not tainted by the world that we're in, they are. And I believe that Jesus came into this world and began to change things, but they didn't change straight away. Some people will say, oh, yeah, but that's the way it was and that's the way it should always be. Jesus chose 12 disciples. They were all men. Of course he did. When we start to look at that culture of the day, if he chose women, it just would never have worked. He wouldn't be able to move in. Guess what else they were? They were all Jews. They were all free men. Does that mean today that if I'm not Jewish, if I'm not born in Galilee, and I'm not a man, then God has no place for me in leadership in a church or, or using me in that way? I believe not. Slavery has only recently been defeated, really. Really? And it's not defeated yet. They say that slavery is still more rampant than ever, that there are so many slaves in the world. Jesus had nothing to say about freeing slaves. Nor did Paul. He called people out where they were, but the intention was that there would be a release from these places, from the culture that they're in, into freedom. Now, I would hope that none of us here would think that it's all right to own another human being that we would think it's okay that I would enslave someone else to do work for me for no pay and to be under my control, to be abused and used for my own benefit. And yet the same verses that we're going to look at later on that talk to husbands and wives also talk to slaves. Yet none of us would say a slave should be a slave. We should say they should be free. And I believe that in the culture of the day and even now, There is still some looking upon women overall as inferior to men. Or we go the other extreme, which is just as wrong, which which bears out that, that part of the verse that says, you will desire to control your husband. That sometimes it goes to that totally different extreme where it's like all about women, all about their rights, they need to be in charge, they're better, they're more peaceful. If there was women in charge, there wouldn't be wars. That's just not true. God made us to be equal, to work in life together, and it says that we are co-heirs of salvation. Everything that belongs to me belongs to my wife. And I actually don't believe it's just in a marriage relationship. I believe that single and married people can be amazingly used by God, can be used in leadership without having to have someone else complete them. The Bible says that you are complete in Christ. Do you know if you're single today, you don't need anyone to complete you. You are complete in Him. He is the source of your life. He is the one who is in charge of your life. He is the one who makes you who you are and makes you whole. You often see that, don't you? You complete me. <laughs> and in many ways i feel that with my wife that there are so many things that she brings to my marriage that i would not have thought of myself challenges to who i am what i do how i act but i'm still complete in christ i'm not lacking anything so today my goal i guess and and We'll have to try to keep in time here. There's just so much. I really wanted to look at Jesus and women and we'll see if we can get to that in the right amount of time. I'll just have to keep an eye on it. If we can't, that's okay. We've got months. <laughs> <laughs> but I want you to understand about the culture that Jesus came into, how strong it was. Even thinking about our culture, I was watching a movie the other day, a western Um, I don't know if any of you guys used to watch westerns. They were pretty popular for a while, yeah. Go westerns. But it was very common for the guy to grab the lady, full grown, put him over her lap and spank her because she'd done the wrong thing. (laughs) And it was quite acceptable. But it was an attitude that prevailed, right? It really did. And that attitude is definitely embedded in us at times. I know that I grew up in a church that that would have said, oh, no, women can't do this and women can't do that. But at the same time, there were people there, yes, they can, but they felt held back. And I want to be able to release, especially women, to feel that they can be everything that God called them to be without apology, without having to justify themselves, without having to think that they have to prove themselves of more worth than any man. And I understand it's not everyone's thoughts, it's not out the way everyone thinks. But I tell you what, I'm sure that so many women hold back from doing the things of God because someone is against it. Even as a man, I am forced every day to battle with people who might have said, you cannot do this, but I know God called me and so you have to push through. Now I can't imagine what it's like for someone who's just told you can't. For no other reason that the sin is that you're born a woman. The words I'm saying are very strong, I understand that. And they're purposefully strong. I'm not trying to offend, but what I'm trying to do is to just jolt us a little bit. And again, you're free to disagree, totally. But I believe through my study and thinking about this more and more, that there is definitely a cultural influence that influences us today still. You see, we came, basically, the, the Western culture has its roots in the Gresho roman culture. Any Greeks here? No <laughs> Greeks? Any Romans here? No? Italians? <laughs> That's close enough. But this is the culture that was leading up to the time of Jesus. I want to look at the the Greek culture, what they thought of women. I want to look at the Roman culture, what they thought of women, and also the Jewish culture of the time, what their view of women was. Now, I would believe that none of these views that we're going to look at are godly. They're certainly not anywhere written in the Word of God. But they became commonplace. Especially when you look at Israel at the time because the rabbis were teaching these things it becomes part of the fabric of the religion of who they are so we might not even get into any verses today about Jesus and women but I believe that this is really important to think about because what I want to do is challenge the way you think and and just look back even today you know that you're influenced by culture our kids are influenced by culture many of us of the past present Past generations would be just bemoaning the fact that there's so many Christian kids that are quite happy to just sleep around and have sex with other people because that's the culture of the day. That they're quite happy to do things that we as a Christian would never do because we know God's culture and they're battling against it, yet it influences it. Even the strongest Christian, it's hard because the battle is that the culture around us tells us lots of different things, and we have to resist what the culture is saying. So let's have a look at this culture. That is where Jesus was basically entered in. Because Rome had been very influenced by Greek culture. They basically took over from the Greeks. The Greeks ruled the world. Alexander the Great came through and beat everyone. And then the Roman Empire rose up. And what we'll see is, well, <laughs> generally the Romans despise women. The Greeks hated them. They really hated them. Hard to believe, right? But both cultures were very dismissive and harsh in their treatment of, and attitude towards women. I understand the culture that Jesus is entering into because we've got to change it from within. So you might have heard of Greek philosophers, has anyone heard of them? They're very big, Plato is one of them, Um, Hippocrates and all these people. They're really well renowned and and there's also a playwright that I'm going to mention today called Homer, you might have heard of him, but he set the culture in this place through his plays and things like that. Now, there's a few of them had nice things to say about them, but mostly they didn't. When you think about the base of the Greek culture, the god Zeus, he was a wife-beater and he was sleeping around on her, unfaithful to her as a god. Now we understand, we don't believe that Zeus is real. But this is what um, Plato said about women. There is no Hades, we have no fear of punishment in some desolate afterplace. Our punishment is with us here and now, The price for our sinning was executed at the beginning of time by Zeus himself when he afflicted us with these creatures, referring to women. He also designed it so that we can neither exist without them nor bear their company. I guess that's where can't live with them, can't live without, them" comes on. We cannot escape this pain, for it lives among us. It is our sisters, our mothers, our betrothed, our wives, our daughters, our mistresses and concubines. Furthermore, if we spend our lives in wrongdoing and in cowardice, Afterwards, Zeus will send us back into this life as women. (laughs) Plato also promoted parties where women to be stripped off naked and to be common to all men, never to know who their children were, and the children were to never know who their parents were. The poet of the time, Homer, as I said, who, who influenced greatly the Greek life at the time, painted women as objects in men's power plays, and the cause of all conflict and suffering. According to another one at the time, an artist at the time, Hesiod, a time existed on earth where men lived blissfully without any women. This paradise was lost when Prometheus stole the fire from the Olympian gods and shared it with other men. In a vindictive rage, Zeus conceived the most horrifying punishment possible. Woman was was created, man's eternal curse. (laughs) Zeus made an evil thing a woman named Pandora a beautiful evil not to be withstood by men he said from her is the race of women the deadly race who live amongst mortal men to their great trouble can you see what's coming out here do you think this is a nice picture of relationship between man and woman We've got to understand in this 5th century B.C., so before Jesus came, philosophers were celebrities. And what they built was a dynasty that would have far-reaching effects that are still felt today. I'm just going to give you an Aristotle quote. Aristotle wrote that that the female is a monstrosity, a deformed male. (laughs) It's hard to believe, isn't it? A deformity which occurs in the ordinary course of nature. He also said the female sex has a more evil disposition than the male, is more forward and less courageous. Women and the female animals bred by us are evidently so. The males are in every respect opposite to this. Their nature is as a class braver and more honest, that of the female being more cowardly and less honest. He said the male is by nature superior and the female inferior, the male ruler and the female subject. That is why, wherever possible, Aristotle advised the males to be separate from the female since it is something better and more divine. It's no wonder homosexuality flourished in Greece. In this culture, men were encouraged to have prostitutes or go to prostitutes. Women were, were not taught the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Rather, they were, they were taught home affairs, you're not allowed in government, you're not allowed in leadership. They were considered a curse from the gods and they had no more legal rights than slaves. Understanding now what that that attitude was like. So let's move to Rome. Why is this important? This is definitely the culture Jesus entered into. This is the world he came into. We understand, as as Ron was doing communion this morning, he talked about how there's this image that Jesus might come and free them from the rule of the Romans. The ruling culture defined what was normal for men and women and what was abnormal. The Romans loved Venus, their goddess, who was uh, basically a prostitute and promiscuous, and she was battling the hag, who was the goddess of marriage. The Romans' writing was, some of it was pro-women, but overwhelmingly not. So let's say there was some stuff. But marriage was reduced to an obligatory duty, one often performed unwillingly. In fact, they were told, you must have sex with your wife at least three times a year. Because it's almost like making sure the treaty is kept. That's how they put it. It's like as if you made a treaty with another country, you've got to make sure you fulfill that. But the more mistresses you had, the stronger you were, the better you were as a man. Women were considered basically evil, as we've sort of seen with the Greeks. It was was encouraged to have two or three mistresses, mistresses, even stronger as a male if you had more. They didn't have individual names. They weren't even named. Roman law gave the right to kill women for adultery and drunkenness, but no reciprocating law for men. Why drunkenness? Because they supposed that if women got drunk, they were more likely to cheat. Females, except for the firstborn female, could be disposed of. So in other words, they had to bring out a law, do not throw out your first girl child. Never throw out a boy, but please don't throw out your firstborn female. They probably needed them to be mistresses, <laughs> whatever it might be. And The very fact that they had to, and, and it was Romulus had to make this law, was to guarantee that at least one woman was kept, but babies were just thrown out on the street. Women did begin to have, to have some rights here, but mainly because the war killed all the men, and they began to trade and, and become businesswomen as well and became wealthy. So some entered into this one with rights. And here's, here's a saying that I think, to be honest, many men are scared of in church life I may be wrong but this is what I think there's a man called Cato in Rome who said this if women are given position and privilege and regarded as equals he said this the moment they begin to be your equals they will be your superiors And I feel that sometimes that's what it's like with the men that I know in church that are so against women having any authority or leadership that all of a sudden they feel less than. And this is not what I'm saying today. I'm saying that we are all created in God's image. We are all given things to do for Christ. And the gift that he gave us is our gift to use and we'll look at giftings a little bit later on. But gifts are given to the body for the body. And wherever it mentions gifts, it never said, these gifts are for men, these are for women. And the letters were written to the church, these gifts are for the body. And in those giftings included leadership. And I guess really, deep down, what we really want to do is say, Holy Spirit, who do you want to lead? Now, it might be quite appropriate in certain circumstances and cultures that God says, use men. Because this is how we're going to advance the gospel for now. But let me bring change. Last one. I don't think we'll have time to look at Jesus and women. It's already late. The Jewish culture. So, at the time when Jesus came in, they had rabbis. Have you ever read that in the Bible? Rabbi? And these were basically the keepers of Moses' law. However, at the time, they decided they were going to add oral traditions to the law of Moses. In other words, what God said isn't really cutting it. We're going to add a little bit more. And these were the Mishnah, the Talmuds, and the Tosefta. And they were basically to protect themselves. The rabbis overwhelmingly did not like women either. And the culture was to not let them read the Torah, they were not to do that. They were not to um, enter into worship with the men at this time. And we're, gonna, we're just going to talk about how that isn't what God planned either. But this is some of their sayings. Compared with Adam, Eve was like a monkey to a human being. More like a monkey than a human being. The belief in male superiority shaped their teaching as shown in the following examples. A man must be saved alive sooner than a woman and his lost property must be restored sooner than hers. Though a man has the exclusive right to the wife's sexuality, the wife's right to the husband's sexual function is never exclusive. She cannot legally preclude her husband from taking additional wives or having sexual relations with unmarried women. Another saying, 10 kebabs of gossip descended to the world, 9 were taken by women. Women are gluttonous. Women are of unstable temperament. Woe to him who has has female children. A daughter is like a trap for her father. Other things that they thought, women were more prone to sin than man and responsible for man's sexual temptation. Many of the laws categorized wives together with slaves, cattle, and other possessions. They were marginalized from worshipping God. They couldn't exercise um, or participate in most of the important rituals and they are segregated into a separate court in Herod's temple. And this is important. You see, the original design for the tabernacle and Solomon's temple never had a court for women or Gentiles. It was for all people to gather together. But because of the way people were thinking, the culture of the day, Herod decided that he was going to build a temple, and in that temple he was going to segregate men and women from the main worship area where only the men could go in. In fact, by the second century after Christ, archaeology suggests that the synagogue kept women in screened floor galleries that they entered by a back door into. Synagogues could be established whenever there was a quorum of 10 men. And basically, what they were saying was this women do not count. And you can see that even in the Gospels. As the disciples moved through, there were so many men, not including women and children. But then it began to change when you get past Acts and it talks about women and men. And people, because Christ had moved and it started to restore dignity to those who had none. Hallelujah. As I said before, reading the Bible or the Torah of their time, Torah, the Bible of their time, would disgrace the community. If a woman read it, it would be disgraceful. And then what happened was others, like a, a man called Philo, Josephus, and Sirach, tried to join the scriptures with the, with the Greek and Roman philosophies of the time. And they wrote things like this. Woman was the beginning of evil. The female sex wasn't just weak, it was more wicked, more easily deceived and more prone to deceive. I've heard that one before. According to Philo, it was the way women were created. He said, the judgments of women as a rule are weaker than those of men, for they want sense. And echoing Aristotle who we quoted before he stated firmly that the male is more perfect than the female therefore it was fitting that a man should rule over immortality and everything good but woman over death and everything vile. Responsibility for the fall was put on Eve. It's time to finish. Now, does that shock you when you hear that? Does it make you feel bad? makes me feel horrible. Because I look back and I'm looking at this is the culture that we came from and we think that culture doesn't tint our lens that we look through, but it does. It definitely does. And if I begin to read the New Testament as we start to look through that, through the lens of that attitude... I'm going to take verses and make sure that they fit the way I feel, the way I think. And what I'm hoping is that we can have a really honest look at that and why things what Paul wrote were so controversial and so freeing to women, although if you read them the wrong way, they seem so restrictive. Paul was definitely not against women, he was definitely not against slaves, and as we know, he is definitely not against Gentiles. And I think we have to be very careful to think just because something is the way it is, just because the culture says it this way, that's the way it should be. And what I want to just sort of encourage us is to push through culture, to see does Jesus really free women? Does Paul talk about the freedom of women? Does God want to restore us together, men and women to work for the glory of his kingdom and I believe that's where it is and do you know what the church really doesn't have a problem with is authority the real problem is with submission that's where the real problem lies and it doesn't matter who's in charge they're meant to be the biggest servant of all and they're meant to submit. doesn't matter who's following. They're meant to be the biggest servant of all as well. And it's a race to the bottom. Who <laughs> can serve the best. Not who can have the power. And I think that's what we want to think of. Does that give you an understanding of the times that Jesus entered into? Can you imagine Jesus entering into that time and just grabbing a, whole, a lot of women and saying, Be disciples. Be apostles. Who's going to listen? Seriously. Paul said that he becomes all things to all people. So that I might win some of them to Christ. To the Jew, I'm a Jew. To the Gentile, I'm a Gentile. In other words, he wasn't saying I'm, I'm changeable and I go with different ideas. What he was saying was this, that I've got to work within the culture that I'm in. When he went and looked at the, um, the statues to the gods in Athens... He didn't tell him tear all those statues down because this is the real God. He went to the one that he found that said the statue to the unknown God, just in case we miss someone. And he said, this God is my God. Let the others fall away as God comes in. Let attitudes change. As I said before, and I mentioned slavery, none of us would think that's okay. Again, watching an old movie that, that I probably watched when I was young and thought, that's all cool. I was shocked and horrified at the way they spoke about people who'd been brought to America as slaves. And I was like, what? And it was like the slaves were worshipping their master because he was so great in letting them work on his plantation and feeding them once a day and giving them an occasional beating to remind them of their place in life and I looked at that movie and I was like, this is rubbish. (laughs) How can we be so hard-hearted? How can we be so condescending to people of other backgrounds, of other races, of other sexes? How can we do it? It's just not God. I know there hasn't been much scripture today, but it's really important that we get this. Father, we just want to thank you that you alone are God, you alone are the ruler of the heavens and the seas. And Lord God, you created us to be your children together, to worship you together, to serve you together. And Lord, I'm just praying that Father God, you help us to work on ourselves. Lord, if we do need light brought in, bring it in. We want to run to that light, not away from it. Lord, I just ask, even today, I don't know, there may be some people here who have had wrong attitudes towards each other. That maybe they're being challenging now. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that you just help us to work through those things. Forgive us where we've had lofty thoughts, Father God. Lord, I just pray today that anyone who's here, that doesn't know you that your spirit would just talk to them and show them who you are in jesus name now there may be someone here who has never received jesus so i'm just going to pray give the opportunity for you to ask him into your life just pray with me and then just tell your friend your family hey i prayed that prayer with the guy up the front if that's you just pray with me now father I just thank you that you love me. You sent Jesus to die for me on the cross, to forgive me of my sin. Today, I want to turn my life around and serve you. I pray that you'll forgive me now. In Jesus' name, come into my life. From today and on, I want to live for you. Amen.